I'm Maureen Bellatori, and this is Spilled Salt, a podcast on the thrills and spills from the food, beverage, and agriculture industries. Today's guests, um, two guests for today's episode, um, are farm partners Jenny Frederick and Eric Fellens of Fellens Family Farm. That is a certified organic vegetable farm in the Finger Lakes region of New York. And today's story that they tell about their farming operation is based around how they took their farm to a profitable business venture when they took over six or seven years ago. Um, They also talk about how they've leveraged their CSA program to build really strong relationships with their primary customer um, in a way that works for the CSA members as well as the farm itself from efficiency of operations as well as profitability. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks for taking the time for the chat today. I'm excited to get your perspective. We're glad to be here. Thank you. So this is my first time on the podcast with two guests. So, you know, we're going to have to, you know, kind of see, I'll leave it to you guys to decide who's best to answer questions or you two can both chime in, whatever works for you. Um, But let's start with a little bit of the history of the farm. Okay. I will hand the mic to Eric because it's him, his family. Okay, Okay, cool. So we've been here a little over 20 years now. My, uh, Parents started the farm in 2001-2002, and we started off real small. We've been growing a little bit each year, and uh, my parents really began to step away from the farm. You know, oh, geez, when when would that have been? 2017, I think. Okay, so, you know, within the last five to ten years, they've been you know, involved less and less. And I would say at this point, what are we, five, six years into formally running the business? Yeah. And great. Yeah, and how I, many, how many acres is it, Eric? So at this point, we, uh, on Lester Road, the main farm, it's a seven acre property and we grow depending on the year, you know, one to two acres of vegetables right here. We have another field that we work about a mile down the road, and that's close to a 50-acre property. I believe about 40 acres tillable, and depending on the season, we are typically growing anywhere from five to 10 acres in mixed vegetables. Gotcha. Um. And are you operating all year round or because of the, because you're primarily a vegetable farmer, it sounds like, is it highly seasonal to the summer months? It is definitely somewhat seasonal. We, uh, we are doing something 12 months out of the year, but as far as the vegetables go, I would say February, March are relatively dead months. We Mm -hmm. usually you know, keep running at the farmer's market through at least the end of January with storage Mm -hmm. crops and fresh greens out of the high tunnels. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that it shifts a little bit each year. Eventually, eventually we likely will be much closer to year round. Mm -hmm. Great. And so talk about your business model a little bit in terms of how you typically get those vegetables to your consumers? 
so the business, uh, the CSA program, Community Supported Agriculture, is, well, it, it depends on the year, but typically that's going to be the primary market. We supply anywhere between 100 and 150 families a year and have a CSA program that runs from the beginning of June until, depending on the year, either early December or around the end of the year. And we sell at one farmer's market, and we had some disruptions with COVID, so the the market has changed a fair bit, and they're just getting to the point now where it's expected to be a year-round market, and we are working to the point where we can be at the market every week of the year and have a nice selection of vegetables. That's great. And tell me a little bit about how you two share roles and responsibilities, because you're both partners in the farm, but, and it sounds like Eric, you're more in the planning of the farming operations based on you just taking those questions. You know, I will uh, debate that a little bit. I would say between the two of us, Jenny is definitely, uh, I would like to say the primary farmer. I tend to do a lot more of the, stuff in the background, the infrastructure, the Mm -hmm. making sure that we have what we need to do our job when we need it, but crop planning and, you know, deciding what's going to be grown, where it's going to be grown and how we're going to grow it. You know, Jenny takes care of most of that. I think we balance each other really well because Eric has a knack for fixing things. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how he does it. He he's, he's a magician. (laughs) he he does all of our maintenance he maintains Mm -hmm. every piece of equipment that we have here Mm -hmm. and he likes to um make things run more smoothly he's all all about innovation Mm -hmm. he's always creating what i like to call farm hacks oh love that of the of the farm like we um was it last season or the season before The, the seasons kind of blur together sometimes but we converted a smaller high tunnel into a main greenhouse space and we built everything ourselves we built all new greenhouse tables we Mm -hmm. um, built a germination chamber you know a lot of things that most farms spend a lot of a lot of money on yeah yeah i grew up on a dairy farm in central new york and it was my dad was the same way right bought a big tractor had to learn how to fix it because he couldn't afford to bring in a mechanic to fix it for him. So, you know, I think it's part of that kind of one of the things that I love about farmers is this innate ability to figure it out, right? Because you have to, right? You know, in order to be able to continue your operations, you need these things to run. Yeah, the the way that I look at an awful lot of that is, you know, we we could have the money to job a lot of that kind of stuff out and, you know, pay someone to be Mm -hmm. doing that work. And I decided a long time ago that, you know, I can spend say $5,000 to have someone fix a tractor or I can take that same money and I can spend that on tools. I can spend that in the shop. And really just invest all that directly in the business. And that's the direction we've gone. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we have a shop on the farm with 
really anything you can imagine that you might need to fix anything. You know, mm-hmm. just lots of specialty equipment. We have a welding shop, machine shop on the farm, and so much of that, it just it gets built up a little bit each year. So yeah. really, the idea is we get to the point where unless it is something incredibly specialized, we mm-hmm. never have to call anyone to do anything. Yeah, that's great. I love that self-sufficiency. Tell me a little bit about your backgrounds. I'll have uh, Jenny start with that. Um, I I don't have a background in farming. Like I I grew up with some family that had a small homestead, like my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to college for art, and that's where I discovered farming. Mm. Um, I like to say that my good friend Petra Page Mann that owns Fruition Seeds. Oh yeah, she was my gateway to farming. Um, we are college friends. We've known each other for like 20 years. Um, She encouraged me to pursue agriculture. I was working at a few garden centers, you know, out of college, in high school. Being outdoors always was very um, relaxing and it was a passion of mine. So it just, it just fits for me Mm -hmm. to do what I'm doing. And I don't think I could do anything else. So she saw in you that passion for agriculture and kind of pushed you to nurture that. Yeah, we um, we were taking a seminar course called Sustainable Earth, and that's mm-hmm. actually how I got connected with Felon's Family Farm. They did a presentation um, about their CSA program, and Petra was part of it. And she actually gifted me a CSA share when I was pregnant mm-hmm. with my firstborn. And um, part of the program at the time was you were required to volunteer on the farm. And I loved it. I loved it so Mm. much. I look forward to that. And then when Andy, Eric's father, was looking for help, I um, I started working here. So was that your volunteer farm or you volunteered on a different farm and that Um, just kind of brought you to agriculture and then you met Andy? I volunteered on Felon's Family Farm as a CSA member, and then I became an employee for um, a few years. I started in 2010. Very cool. And so then that's how you met Eric? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And how about you? How about you, your background, Eric? So there's not much to say there. You know, I've been here since day one. So Mm -hmm. I, uh, I grew up doing most of this. I, uh, in school, I did some vocational training for fabrication, machining, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. So a lot of those skills, they translate incredibly well to the kind of work we do on the farm. But, yeah. you know, no educational background in agriculture other than, you know, what you learn on hand, just doing it every day. Yep. And so what, tell me a little bit more about what that was like. You know, I grew up on a farm too, um, but I wasn't, I really wasn't hands-on. I was allergic to hay. So I didn't spend a lot of time, you know, in the barns um, because I would come out sneezing and and boogery. Um, But tell me about that experience for you. Well, you know, I was, uh, let's see. I was like 12, 13 when we moved here and started the farm. So, you know, from that point up until, 
oh geez, up until I was in my early 20s, it was, uh, I guess, just kind of the the life I lived, you know. Mm -hmm. When I was in school, I would spend the summers, you know, part-time working on the farm, part-time just Mm -hmm. doing whatever I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I guess I I got to the point where uh, my parents were definitely looking to not continue the business a whole lot further into the future. And I looked at it and decided that it was definitely something that I could see myself continuing to do for a long time. And I guess the rest is history at this point. Yeah. You're skipping the good parts though, because I want to talk about that transition and what was that like for you to step in and take over for, you know, as the next generation of farmers well, I, I suppose uh, I I think as you would see an awful lot in like generational farm transition. Mm-hmm. When you look back on that, a lot of that isn't the good part. Um, I I like to say that you know the the best thing about working with family is that you have the opportunity to work with family, mm-hmm. and the worst part of working with family <laughs> is that you have to work with your family. Yeah. So it was a uh, it was definitely a stressful time. We had an awful lot of budding heads. We had some real uh, difference of opinions between mm-hmm. myself and my father. And, you know, at this point, we are, uh, Jenny and I are a few years into running the business and things have gotten so much better because mm-hmm. now we're at the point where we still have all the benefits of being able to work with family without really any of the need to Mm -hmm. work with family. Mm -hmm. And I I think overall it, it worked out really well. We, uh, you know, like I said, there was, there there were quite a few uh, pretty stressful situations in the transition. Mm -hmm. And so much of that, just comes down to the fact that I can be incredibly strong-willed. I know how I want to do things. I know, mm-hmm. you know, which path I want to go down. And my father is much the same way. He uh, mm-hmm. he had his opinions. He had his right way to do things. Mm-hmm. And his right way and my right way, in uh, in some cases, didn't really have any common ground it was uh it was a venn diagram but the two circles had a few inches between them yeah right (laughs) well and i think you know i i would imagine that that comes from a place of wanting to help right that your dad wanted to make sure that he was setting you up for success and was probably worried that you were if you wanted to do something different that there was uncertainty there So Jenny, you mentioned in our um, initial call that one of the things that you two were passionate about when you took over the farm operations was finding a path to profitability. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So um, the farm originally had way more crew and the focus was um, maintaining, what would you say, maintaining the, the the crops and things like the 
I would say yeah, there, the, yes, there, there used to be a much stronger focus on making sure that things looked nice. And mm -hmm. in the transition, when, you know, we started running it, all of a sudden, you know, we, uh, we moved into a situation where the farm business absolutely had to make money. And mm -hmm. from a sustainability standpoint, financial sustainability was so much more important than anything mm -hmm. else. So in the first few years, and, you know, some of this continues to this day, and we are making great strides and, you know, getting things cleaned up and making things nice in our own way. But for a while, there were definitely things that previously had looked much nicer and it looked like things were just, you know, absolutely falling apart for a little bit because we were no longer in a situation where uh, we could spend the dollars to make things look nice if those things were not making money by themselves. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on that? Like, can you give me an example of what you're talking about there? You know, it's, uh, let me think on that for a moment. I, I think what, uh, what an awful lot of it comes down to is say when my father was running the business, you know, at the end of the day, out in the field, everything would be nice and clean and mm -hmm. orderly. And when uh, Jenny and myself began running the farm, you know, we might have the same field. We might have stacks of bins, stacks of packaging that live at the edge of the field. We might mm -hmm. have row covers that, you know, live next to the bed, live rolled up at the end of the fields. So a lot of it is just, we have things that, you know, in the, I guess, cleaner, more put together looking farm mm -hmm. would be in their proper place where we have an awful lot of things that mm -hmm. beginning of the season, it goes out to the field, it lives in the field the entire season, end mm -hmm. of the year, ideally everything goes away. Right. And I would imagine that that comes from what your goal was, was efficiency, right? Exactly. And yeah. profitability. And so if, if you're thinking, if I can save some steps every day, right, that this stuff is going to sit on the edge of the farm, but I'm going to save X amount of time dragging it out there every time I need to use it. Now you've saved efficiency. Maybe you've saved people time and operations, yeah. right? That is going to make a huge difference in the day to day. Yeah, and the, the other thing, and this is, uh, you know, this was not really intentional at all, but, you know, other things would just kind of fall to the wayside, you know, before mm -hmm. when the entire farm was this seven-acre property here, and most years there would be a crew of, you know, three to six people between, you know, part-time and almost full-time helping out on the farm someone could be spending an entire day a week just mowing between greenhouses and high tunnels and keeping all sure. of that nice. And when we started running the farm, all of a sudden, 
we have this property here. We have 50 acres down the road. And we would run into situations and we we were doing all of that with best case scenario about, you know, half the people hours on the Mm -hmm. farm in employees and, you know, ourselves. And we would easily run into times where I could look at something and I would say, I would like to have those pathways mowed down and cleaned up, you know, five times a season. And mm-hmm. we get to the end of the year, and we'd realize we did that once, mm-hmm. because right, you know, but that it wasn't necessary for the operation of the farm. Exactly, it, it, mm-hmm. stuff like that, where you know the downside is, well, it doesn't look nice, mm-hmm. but functionally, it did not make yep. any difference. Yep. Well, at the end of the day, we were looking at where we were spending the most time with our our labor. And when Eric's father was running everything, a lot of it went into cultivation, weeding, um, you know, making things look really nice. Like we did plantings, like custom flower plantings around the high tunnels, Mm -hmm. things that we didn't have like the time and and the money to do when we needed to focus on making sure that we were doing everything more efficiently we're making sure that we were harvesting and planting we had more space mm-hmm. that we had to deal with we had to mm-hmm. also scale up with equipment as well mm-hmm. so that we could work smarter not harder because mm-hmm. the original farm plan was like a french intensive paper pot transplanted bcs tilling small kubota operation and that's not sustainable with all of the ground that we have to work we needed larger mm-hmm. pieces of equipment mm-hmm. yep makes sense what were some of the resources that were most helpful to you as you were on that path to profitability and trying to make sure that you were paying attention to efficiency and you know that journey that you were on were there any resources or organizations that were particularly helpful you know i I can't think of any real organizations that uh, we leaned on for resources in that way. It, mm-hmm. An awful lot of it that made a huge difference and helped out an awful lot was uh, social media, fellow mm. farmers. And I think, honestly, that's probably the best resource that we have available with so many different things that, you know, we either did projects that we are still looking at doing. Yeah. You know, we crowdsource an incredible amount of good information. And to the point where I can be looking at a completely new way of doing something, you know, a new line of equipment, just making a massive change and I can put a question out there and I can get, you know, 200 opinions mm-hmm. and 10 of those opinions are going to be really top quality and useful. Yeah. yeah. There's some great forums on, on Facebook and mm-hmm. um, what was that, that one that you like to use a lot? There's grad journal. Uh, no, there's uh, and, and this doesn't terribly apply to, uh, like the type and scale of farming that we do, but there's an online forum called New Ag Talk. Mm-hmm. And 
it's primarily a collection of, you know, larger scale uh, farms and farmers, but just a completely ridiculous resource, the sort of place where, you know, you can post the most obscure question on yeah. how does this piece of equipment that three people in the country are still using that was made 60 years ago, how does this work? Where do you get this? And one of those three people is going to see the question and tell you exactly, you know, how you can do what you need to do, where you can find the parts you need yeah. and get it back together. So yeah, really That's most awesome. of it, the, the, the best resource is other farmers. And mm -hmm. we've been on both the giving and receiving end of that. You know, we've had other farmers in the area that are looking, you know, for something relatively obscure. Mm -hmm. And I look out in the shop and I say, you know, I have one of those on the shelf. If you need that, come and get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And folks also look to you for your CSA, right? You yes. have a very strong CSA and so don't other farmers come to you to say, hey, how'd you establish this? How do you create such demand? Talk, talk a little bit about that CSA. I would say with the CSA, there's definitely a fair amount of like both farmers asking us and we just go out, talk to other farmers. Mm -hmm. um, the way we run our CSA is a little bit different than the the traditional CSA. The traditional CSA is each week CSA member, they get a box of vegetables. Mm -hmm. And the way we run ours, CSA members each week, they get vegetables and they choose whatever they like each week. We don't restrict that. We don't restrict it at all. We don't tell people what they have to take. Um, and from a like a marketing perspective, it mm. works exceptionally well for us. Um, and I suppose as far as other local CSA farms go, we know most of the other local CSA farmers. Mm -hmm. We have a... Uh, pretty tight-knit local group of other farms that we cooperate with and it it's really a wonderful community around here yeah, yeah. we're really fortunate and isn't isn't that difficult you mentioned it's beneficial from a marketing standpoint that you let people kind of choose whatever they want to put in their box for the csa but isn't that difficult operationally for you then i we find it easier honestly hmm. because um our market style CSA, like the table, everything we have every week is based on what is in the field. So if we have mm -hmm. a crop loss, mm -hmm. you know, we can, we can adjust mm -hmm. before we would have to do really kind of mm -hmm. in crop planning every week, we'd have to go through and be like, oh, okay, we're expecting to have this many units of lettuce or this many units of, you know, celeriac or something. It's a little more relaxed for us mm -hmm. and it gives people more of a choice, which people really enjoy. Because mm -hmm. that was another issue we were having with the old model is people would want to trade out items that mm -hmm. they didn't like or they didn't want to, you know, try. Right. And this also gives people a chance to kind of be in community because I have mm -hmm. CSA members that really like one thing 
that's kind of obscure, like say like uh, kohlrabi or something. And another CSA member is like, oh, I've never tried that. And then they have a conversation mm-hmm. and they, they talk about the good things about it. And it encourages someone to try something new and not be forced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I, I think most importantly, what really makes our CSA model work well, you know, the the CSA members respond to it. They love the fact that they can get whatever they like each week. And we can make it work because we are not only a CSA farm. Mm. Like if, if the CSA was our sole outlet, we would have an incredibly hard time making the free choice model function because we would, you know, always end up with shortages of the crops that people really like and surpluses of things that no one likes. But with the CSA and the farmer's market as sales outlet, it works ridiculously well because it kind of splits it into two tiers. The CSA member is, you know, in a way, the VIP. They're the most important customer. They get first choice. You know, when strawberries show up, they get strawberries and they don't show up on the farmer's market table. You know, the first week of tomatoes, they all go to CSA. Mm -hmm. Then things go to the farmer's market. And having the market there Mm -hmm. gives us a, uh, a secondary outlet to move crops that the CSA isn't super excited about. Mm-hmm. And with the free choice CSA model, we also build some flexibility in. So we might say first week of strawberry season, as a CSA member, you can have strawberries, but you can only have one basket this week. And the other side of that is if we're in like peak tomato season, peak summer squash season, cucumber season, we let all the CSA members know that this week you can have one tomato or you can have 20 tomatoes. <laughs> and either way, it's going to count the same for your CSA share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a great, I love the relationship that happens with the farmer and the CSA member in the scenario that you're explaining, right? That everybody understands or at least is is in the same you know kind of work the farm is going to give us a little bit more as a csa member when we can when they can and we need to be respectful of the bounty to be shared with everybody right that it's a it's a balance yeah yeah absolutely and and that's a conversation that i've had quite a few times with different csa members and you know, we have an awful lot of CSA members that really have a good understanding of the way the farm works, the way the CSA works, and they try to be, you know, really respectful of what we're doing and really go out of their way to make sure that they aren't doing something that could be taken as them taking advantage. Mm-hmm. And with some of those CSA members, you know, I will let them know late summer that, you know, there's a pint of tomatoes, there's a quart of tomatoes, and there's an eight quart basket of tomatoes, and they can have whatever they need that week. Mm -hmm. And some people, they won't want to take the eight quart basket because they feel like that's unfair to us as the farmers. Mm. And 
you know, we just have a conversation where I say, you know, this is the way we build it. This is the way it works. Some weeks I'm going to win. Some weeks you are going to win. And that's fine. That's the way mm-hmm. we design it. We design it so that sometimes you do get a great bonus in the CSA and we want you to have that. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And I mean, the the beauty of that model too, is that the least amount of food goes to waste, yeah, right? That absolutely. you let somebody yeah. take more tomatoes. If you can use yeah. them, take them, you know? Yeah. And, and that's exactly the, like the conversation I had with a few CSA members at the Canandaigua pickup this year. I I had people showing up and I have some CSA members where I know they do an awful lot of their own processing. They're canning a bunch, they're freezing yep. a bunch. And I had a night where I think I had 400 pounds of extra tomatoes on the truck that absolutely yeah. had to get used within the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. And I think I had three people that night that each took at least 30 pounds of tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And it's, really wonderful when we can do that because in my mind i have a surplus i don't have a second market for this stuff yeah this stuff is either going to the csa members it's going to the food bank or it's going to end up in my compost bin right and you know when i'm looking at something like that i'm happiest if it goes to the csa members because they always appreciate it and it's kind of our way of, you know, trying to give back a little bit and Mm -hmm. really recognize that they are part of what makes the farm possible. Yeah. And it's really just, it's wonderful to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. The, that relationship between your primary customer and yourself as the farmers is a beautiful thing. And I would imagine that, a lot of your journey on your path to profitability was benefited by the the emphasis that you put on the strength of that relationship. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask you one final question to wrap us up. Um, tell me about one of your favorite moments from your recent years operating the farm. All right, Jenny. <laughs> what do you like? Um, oh, gosh. I, I love I love the springtime when everything is first coming into its green. You know, I've I've had some time in the winter to to hibernate. And then people are just so excited. You know, we'll see people at market or I'm in Geneva a lot and people are like, When's the CSA starting? And just, just that energy. Yeah. That energy is what what I look forward to. Love it. How about you, Eric? I I'm gonna share in an awful lot of that. And agree with Jenny that that really is the best time of the year when, you know, we open up the greenhouses in February, things start to really green up in March. And usually at some point in April, we are back at the farmer's market. We're getting ready for CSA and to just, you know, see so many of our customers that in some cases we haven't seen for a few months and just the the level of excitement that a lot of people have early in the season 
it's it's really hard to match. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much for taking some time today to share your story with the Spilled Salt um, audience. We aim to help support uh, growing and scaling businesses in food, beverage, and agriculture, and so and also tell stories along the way. And so the nuggets that you shared today hit both of those points, and I'm I'm incredibly grateful for your time. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Spilled Salt. I'm Maureen Bellatori. For more information about the podcast, visit www.agency-29.com. If you have questions for me or you'd like to recommend a guest for a future episode, you can send a message using the contact form on the website. Like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.